This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Craig, it's Andrew. Oh, hi, Andrew, it's Craig. <laughs> Let me paint you a picture. Please. Get you ready your mind for this. Okay. You're watching your favorite movie or TV show. Okay. And with each stunning shot or brilliant edit, you're likely asking yourself, how do they do it? And then you think, how do I do it also? Uh, which, <laughs> And for people who think that stuff... Uh, I want to recommend American Masters, colon, Creative Spark, the award-winning podcast from PBS that illuminates the creative journeys of icons across disciplines from film to comedy to poetry to music. American Masters Creative Spark just kicked off a new season. Its second episode is a great interview with one of the great filmmakers, the legendary Pope of Trash, John Waters. He talks about good taste, bad taste, and the writing of his novel, Liar Mouth. Whether you want to learn more about an old classic, discover a new favorite, or find inspiration for your own creative journey, this is the podcast for you. So follow American Masters Creative Spark on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, and tell them we sent you. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And welcome to 2023. The future. It's been 2023 for a month now. Mm-hmm. I realize, Andrew. Henry's still saying Happy New Year when he goes to bed every night. Yes, so he is. That's kid rules. <laughs> um, and Andrew, what book did you read this week? This week and also like 10 years ago, yes. I read... Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Wonderful. Why did, oh, wait. Oh, no. I read this one already. Uh-oh. Oh, no. We got to hang up the call and try again, right? Because I messed it up. No, you didn't. Oh, okay. We've been doing this podcast for 10 years, Andrew. 10 long years. And we decided that we might celebrate that by revisiting some books that we had read already. Mm-hmm. That we wanted to do over. Mm-hmm. It's for do one reason overdue. or another. Yeah, do overdue. That's the play on words. Mm-hmm. Many of our ideas hinge on some kind of weird pun. Yes. And this is another one. <laughs> this is another one. Now, Andrew, our show launched on February 11th, 2013. Mm-hmm. And I found an article from theweek.com mm-hmm. with several things you need to know today on February 11th, 2013. Okay. So I think some of these things may have happened on February 10th, which is fine, whatever. Um, Pope Benedict is stepping down. Okay. Just He recently passed away, so he hmm, did. interesting. Hmm. Uh, 10 years. Um, what it really makes you think. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mumford and Sons and Fun were among your top Grammy winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a winter storm. There's a bunch of other stories. There's a French horse meat scandal. Uh, and the number 10 here just says, an iPhone watch? <laughs> what? Apple is testing a watch-style device with some of the functions of its hugely popular iPhone, according to the Wall Street Journal? It's true. They did do, like, two years later, that came out. Weird. 2013. What a wild time to be alive. But here we are now. Do you have any more follow-ups or anything? I just thought you might find it interesting. About yeah, I mean, I was reading not that long ago about Mumford and Sons and how one of the sons left oh. because he was feeling like politically stifled by he the other members away. of the group. He didn't want to disgrace his family. <laughs> yeah, you just hate to see families torn apart by politics like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wanted to revisit. I did. To kick off Do Overdue, mm-hmm. Love in the Time of Col- Cholera, El Amor on Los Tiempos de Cholera by Gabby. Gabby. That's Gabo. His- Gabo is what Gabito. everybody, everybody in, well, Gabo's Gabo or Gabito, as he's known to his, his fans affectionately in yes. Colombia. Why did you want to revisit this work? Because it was the second episode of the show that we ever did. And yep. the first episode based on a book that I had read for the show. Correct. And for a lot of reasons, and I did not, I, you, I think you listened to the entire thing. I made it through like five to seven minutes sure (laughs) for a lot of reasons it just is a real stinker and i that people go back to episode one of podcasts all the time when they decide they want to start a podcast because i think 
based on how other storytelling forms work, yeah. it makes the most sense to start at the beginning. But wowie wow, it's a bad episode. And it's not just me remembering it being worse than it is. Like, it is an episode that I am kind of embarrassed about. <laughs> I will tell you that it gets better because we get into sure. the book proper. Mm-hmm. It it's is not also... like you asking me what cholera is and then me saying, well, I didn't look it up, but here's what I think it is based <laughs> on context clues. Yeah, that does happen. It does get more into the book and your response to it. We had an interesting conversation about reading uh you know capital l literature again in our lives after uh-huh. going getting away from it after college probably our reading habits changing that was an interesting conversation okay um and other stuff that we'll probably cover again today but a lot of it was just about and I'll trying to like unwind this kind of interesting book and, and sure. the way that the story is told um but it does it definitely predates uh you know, the author research section that we codified. predates the author research section. I don't know. I We didn't know, I think, how funny we wanted to be. Or oh, like how funny we wanted to try to be. <laughs> a pretty like straightforward episode, actually. Yeah. Except like for all talking the, about cholera causing you to poop. If you go way back to the very early intros, we always introduce ourselves like weird like newscasters or something. Like here, you're Craig and I'm Andrew, and this is we're, we've all joined together here for a yep. very somber on on our USB rock band mics for a very somber <laughs> conversation about literature. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just it. I had not read fiction at all like in a super long time this was a bad one to start with because it is fairly complex and i don't i don't think like as now that we've done like 500 and whatever of these yeah it is not the kind of fiction that i like have the easiest time grabbing onto. so it, yeah i just like i picked myself unknowingly pick myself a super steep difficulty curve we mm. had not figured out the other like infrastructure of what an overdue episode is yeah, to, to like hang our hats on and like fall back on, and I just I just wanted to do it. I wanted to try it again. Well, <laughs> with more developed like muscles. I know? appreciate you wanting to you know strengthen your muscles and get back on the horse. I want to put right what once went wrong. Sure, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did talk about uh, Gabo on episode two twenty nine when you read one hundred years of solitude, which I think was also a bit of a like let's go back to Gabo. Yeah, let's try it again. <laughs> let's try it again. But um, without breaking the rule of the show like we're allowing ourselves to do this month. It's an anniversary. We can do what we want. We do what we want. Yeah, that's uh, the rule for anniversaries. Yeah, well, uh um so yeah, so there's some ep- there's some material on Gabo in that episode. Um but just mirrored top- like 5 years ago. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. Um so, but like top level, one of the most, you know, if not the most famous Colombian novelist, um, who's recipient of the 1982 Nobel Prize. I had not remembered that this book came after he received that award. Yeah, it's fairly late in his in his run, like yeah. novel wise. It's not yeah. the last thing he wrote, but it's on like the 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 late end of the middle of his yep. literary career. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he was born in 1927, died in 2014. Um, he lived in Arakataka, uh, which became the inspiration for the town in uh, 100 years. Um, he lived mostly with his maternal grandparents, and he has talked a lot about how his grandmother's storytelling style influenced what became known as his magical realist style as well. Um, he went to school for law, changed, did journalism, did some journalism writing, and then kind of made his way into, into fiction writing from there. Mm-hmm. Um, what his big kind of part of this Latin American boom in the 60s and 70s and then his his novels Leaf Storm um, 19- my favorite Mega Man power <laughs> <Yeah>. up <laughs> you, you <laughs> Leaf acquired Storm. Leaf Storm <laughs> uh, 1967 is 100 Years of Solitude um, won some prizes for that was very successful other books include The Autumn of the Patriarch The General in His Labyrinth of love and other demons um, to live to tell it was his memoir that he published. Uh, and yeah, as we said, this book came out in 1985. Uh, the English translation was 1988 mm-hmm. uh, by Edith Grossman. We did her Quixote for about a year. Yeah. And go listen to that. Um, 
And Andrew, it's set between 1880 and the 1930s. Is that right? Yeah, it's a it is a time a decades spanning story of of three people, and it is like the the turn of that century happens like around like their middle age ish, and then okay, uh, it ends with all the characters in their like 70s and 80s. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um. What did he he said in an interview? Okay, Andrew, I have a quote for you from an interview he gave to the New York Times. All right, Gabo, give it, give it to me. This this hit different in the year 2023. He's, uh, when asked why he is drawn to stories about plagues, he said, Plagues are like imponderable dangers that surprise people. They seem to have a quality of destiny. It's the phenomenon of death on a mass scale. What I find curious is that the great plagues have always produced great excesses. They make people want to live more. It's that almost metaphysical dimension that interests me. Huh. So. I Yeah, I mean, people are living more if you consider, like, big spikes in, like, the n- number of traffic accidents to be signs that yeah. people are living more. <laughs> Live moss. Post-pandemic, yeah. Um, I'm going to go buy a gun and drive bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's eat 2023. Eat yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that is the perspective of someone maybe not currently living through a raging plague. Yeah, it's different to read about than to, to live through it, yes. probably. But um, You had asked me a little bit about how this relates to some of his other like style and work and, and canon and stuff yeah, like he, that. Yeah, he's known for that magical realism style, which is a... like I, I always think of that, and, and I don't even know if it exists anymore, the magical realism bot on Twitter because Elon's like killing all the bots or is he? I don't know. It, yeah. It might be gone. This, if, if they produce good content, they're staying boy. Someone I didn't know anything about in 2013 was Elon Musk. What a wonderful, what a wonderful time that was. Um, but it was all, like all, all of those are like, Oh, a woman like cries until her tears form an ocean. And then the ocean like floods the, yes. like a banana plantation or something like it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a weird blend. This this novel I would categorize as like aggressively realist. Yeah. There is yeah. no magic here at all in particular. So in an in another interview he said in every book I try to take a different path. I think I did here. One doesn't choose the style. Uh, the style is determined by the subject, by the mood of the times. If you try to use something that is not suitable, it just won't work. And then uh, in the New York Times review by Michiko Kakutani, uh, they said, talking about the magic, improbable events prolifer- prol- proliferate throughout this novel, yeah. yet the magic is more muted, the flights of fancy more securely grounded in the mundane realities of ordinary life. And mm-hmm. then Kakutani names a bunch of like, you mentioned the, in the previous episode, uh, maybe it'll come up again in this one, the parrot that that is like a part of one of the characters' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and some other, like, there's a fortune-telling thing that happened. So, like, some kind of coincidental or otherwise, like, heightened events happen, but as you, it doesn't sound like they are supernatural or mythical. No, and it's all, it's all in that vein of, like, this is happening to this person because they are the protagonist of this of story. story, and if yeah. nothing happened to them, then there wouldn't be anything to read about. Like, it's, it is, the things feel improbable in a way that's more, like, typical for fiction, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he said that the book was inspired by two things. Um, both, oh, wait, wait, wait. Love oh, and cholera. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, got him. Got him. <laughs> it came from the love affair of his parents, um, which he says was identical to that of uh, Fermina and Florentino, which I'll be mm, based on. I don't know about that, um, <laughs> but that uh, his father was a telegraph operator. He played the violin. She was a pretty girl from a well-to-do family whose father didn't want her to marry him. Uh, she went to school. They had letters and poems and serenades and stuff. Uh, and then when she returns from school, um, everyone thinks that she has forgotten him, but then they got married, and he's like, okay. and then they were married, and they weren't interesting to write about anymore. Yeah. So I don't think that the other part of Flor- of like Florentino's life is like his dad. Maybe no. I don't know. No, it's uh, not like that. And then he also read a story in a newspaper about the death of two old Americans who would meet every year in Acapulco, always going to the same hotel, the same restaurants, following the same routine as they had for forty years. They were eighty years old. And they kept meeting. 
Uh, and he said, and then one day they went out on a boat, and in order to rob them, the boatman murdered them with his oars. Mm-hmm. Through their death, the secret of their secret romance became known. I was fascinated by them. Yeah, they that each- is that event is recounted toward the end of this book. Whoa! Yeah, it's like part of the story, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was fascinated by it. Uh, obviously. Clearly. Um, so, do you want to take a break and get into the book, or do you want me to tell you what I know about cholera? <laughs> Yeah, no, let's take a break because we've already crammed, compared to the first time we did this one, we've already crammed so many facts into this first, like, 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we really need to give everybody some space to breathe. Okay. Take a breath. We'll be back. Greg. Mm-hmm. Whether it's cholera or some other medical condition. When oh, it comes boy. to disease, it always feels like it's the time of something. <laughs> oh, no. That's why we're happy to tell you about ZocDoc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. I didn't specifically look up cholera, but I bet they can treat it if you've got it. <laughs> Well, yeah. (laughs) So no more Dr. Roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. I've used ZocDoc to schedule dentist appointments and eye exams and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, I like that on their site, you can pick an appointment time right from, from just, it's all right there. And you fill out a lot of your paperwork before you set foot in the waiting room. And I like that. You don't need to talk that to anybody sounds, on the phone. Yeah. That sounds very convenient. <laughs> uh, so go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash overdue. ZocDoc.com slash overdue. Andrew, this show is brought to you and our listeners by BetterHelp. When you feel your best, you can accomplish a lot. When do you feel your best, Andrew? Uh, After a nap, let's say. Sure. Like an hour after I've woken up from a nap. Yes. Not right after. (laughs) And there are lots of things in your life that don't make you feel like you've just had a nap. Right. Like not taking a nap. (laughs) Well, yes. And the daily challenges that we all face. Yes. And like emotions and stuff too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Working with a therapist can help you get closer to that post-nap version of yourself. Therapy is a great way to talk through a goal or a challenge, to think through your own patterns of behavior and figure out if they might be like keeping you from doing what you want to do. Just kind of talk that out. Um, BetterHelp is a great option for this because it's convenient. It's flexible. It's affordable and it's entirely online. They've got a little questionnaire for you to fill out. You find your licensed therapist, and then if you don't like who they matched you with, there's no charge for switching, and you can do that at any time. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com/overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/overdue. Where do you want to start, Andrew? Do you want to start back in February 2013? You want to start mm. back in the 19th century? Mm. It was a it was a wild time, just coming off of the second Obama inauguration. Yeah, <laughs> getting to know, just getting to know a bright young man from Texas named Ted Cruz. Oh boy, um, yeah, that's it was quite a wild time. I, we moved to New Jersey not that long, or like to to Jersey City around that time that sounds right yeah yeah Yeah. i think this is we record this episode before that but not too long before that i think it was that following summer because i remember because we were recording that episode about that new brunswick eggers book yeah 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 yeah, yeah. before we went and took a bunch of furniture apart yes that's true uh so okay that's 2013 let's flash forward to 2023 when i'm reading this book great time of cholera okay (laughs) so like i said it is it's a it's a decade spanning tale. It's the following these three people from young adulthood to old age and death in the case of one of them, um, three main characters and two of them are more, well, I guess one of them is more main than the other two, but they're all, you know, they're all up in the mix. Are they all on main? Are they sometimes, all horny on main? <laughs> there's, sometimes they are horny on main. Okay. Though I get back in the day, you would just have to go out on Main Street and be horny out there. And that's ah! where that's where the phrase comes from because they hadn't yeah. invented like Twitter yet. So, okay. sure. Um, 
the main main character is this guy named Florentino Ariza, who's yeah. a big perv who <laughs> stalks a woman for her entire life, basically. Um, <laughs> then there, the other two characters, the, the woman, her name is Fermina Daza. Yeah. She is a, as uh, Gabo said, uh, sort of a well-to-do, kind of well-to-do. It's more complicated than that in this book, but uh, a daughter of a man who who does a lot of shady business and does not want his daughter to marry this guy, Florentino Ariza. And then the last character is uh, Dr. Juvenal Urbino. Yeah. And he is a doctor. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's a is, disease in the is, title. Yes. Does he uh, treat it? He that is one of his accomplishments. Is okay. He is a <laughs> he comes to there are a couple different Colombian cities. It could kind of be, but it doesn't. It's not a specific place. Yeah, I book. saw that it was like on the like the Magdalena River or something like up. It's again, it's near the Caribbean Sea, right? Yeah, and river okay. river boats are a thing in the book, so yeah, it makes great. sense. It's a kind of a river town. Sure, <laughs> you know, one of those great the, the big river those, towns. Yeah. Um, and and there's a cholera outbreak that he helps to stem because he's like, what if we didn't just bury a million people in big pits and the ground would become like sticky with their blood and gore because we just buried them in these big pits that are right next to the water supply or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it's, there are a bunch of things that are happening against the backdrop of this book. Like cholera is one of them, a bunch of just like continuous little civil wars and, and unrest of uh, political situation. Like, and it does mention a few real worlds um, like presidents and other people of okay. know, who, who would have been known in, in Colombia at this time. But that's a, it all. It is all sort of ancillary to what is happening to these three people because and, none of, none of them are ever really directly touched or directly paying a ton of attention to the, the stuff that's happening in in society around this time like the uh cholera and the doctor being the main exception i guess the main ex- sure yeah, yeah. Even, even then you just you mostly hear about what he did you don't like see a bunch of him going around and doing that there's no like zoom out where gabo's like let me tell you about the six global cholera epidemics no and how they started in calcutta india and they happened you know starting in the 18 something and then like every like few years and it came into the Americas in 1832, and then there was like a big one in, in the 1890s in South yeah, America. Yeah, there, there are a lot of outbreaks, and <laughs> it's not a fully solved problem as no. of the as of the time of this book. The book is not love after the time of cholera. It is yeah. love, love during the time of cholera. <laughs> I did see, <laughs> but there, yeah, I did see that there's like a um, uh, in Spanish cholera. Uh, we might use we might say the same thing as like choleric in English as you know, if you're thinking about the four humors, like um, extreme passion or anger or rage or like kind of extremity of feeling. Uh-huh. Um, so there's like a dual meaning to, to cholera there in the mm-hmm. title, I think mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, which might relate to love and excess and things like that. But you could yeah. tell me more because I didn't read the book. I could. Yeah. So which care, which of these three <laughs> characters do you want to start with? I think we should start with uh, Juvenal Urbino, actually, okay. rather than resident perv Florentino Ariza or Fermina Daza. <laughs> I, think you're, I think the big change, aside from a deeper dive into the work itself, is how specific your read on Florentino is going to be. Dude is gross, and he's, gr- like, he's gross before you get to like 90% of the way through the book, and it's like the last woman he had a love affair with was... Like uh, somebody like a ward. He he was the ward that their that her parents had entrusted with her upbringing and education, and also she was fourteen years old. Like that, before you get to that part, he's already kind of a creep. And then yeah, and then he goes all um goes all well. What's oh why am I blanking on the name of the book? The famous book about the underage relationship. Oh um oh Lolita. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why he goes all Lolita at the end. Okay, but he does. And yeah, that's just great. It's just great that he does that. Okay. Um, book opens with Juvenal Urbino dying. Basically, mm. um, I say I say basically because there's a lot of timey wimey time jumping that happens in this book. Like you will be with. 
uh, Urbino and Fermina Daza and you'll be witnessing some scene from their marriage and then it'll go back and be like, you know, this is like this time 30 years ago where this yep. other thing happened and it'll go through a bunch of vignettes. And it's very like, it's not magical realism in this book, but it is very like dreamy and, and floaty and yeah. stream of, I, I don't even think stream of consciousness is, is quite right, but you just find yourself floating from story to story i wouldn't even and, and and we've read stories where there have been a bunch of nested stories within stories i don't even think that's what this is really doing like, like the the bigger story where dr urbino dies and then the events of the book are kicked off like those are always in the back of your mind the whole time but otherwise gabo is just continually like let me sketch in these characters more and with more and more and more precise detail for the entire middle chunk of this book. And yeah. then I'll get back around to the to the death part at the end. <laughs> the word I, I saw in a few reviews was circular. Circular is, is good. Um I maybe I'm drawn to to dreamy because and you know, maybe this is a difference reading a book when you're 37 versus 27, but I fell asleep a lot. <laughs> I fell asleep a lot while I was reading this book. And that does, that's not to say that it's boring, but there is just a very like white noisy quality to it mm. almost where it just kind of washes over you and you get very it makes you very drowsy well and it doesn't sound like it's propelled by plot it sounds like it's propelled by and here's an interesting thing about this character that no happens. and even even structurally like there are very few things that i would categorize as chapter breaks like none of the chapters oh. are really numbered and none of them are named that can be hard they don't yep come at particular pivot points in the story they just kind of are sprinkled throughout in a handful of places yeah um which really like there is a a sort of lack of structure or like a very soft and and mm gooey structure that this book has yeah um i don't think we've ever described a book as gooey before it's just very squishy Took 10 years it's very squishy okay it's sure. a squishy book and none of this is meant as no not it's just what it's it is. bad because it's squishy i'm just saying i'm just it's a it's a strange it's just, i i know why i had trouble with it yeah yeah and it's because i chose to read this instead of something with like space lasers in it for yep. my first for my first novel uh-huh <laughs> like i think I, I recall doing a much better job with the, the da vinci code which is <laughs> pretty much all chapter breaks it really is <laughs> and they all like they kind of hit you in the face and go keep reading idiot yeah, like keep every reading. Page. yeah they're like a goosebumps like a goosebumps okay. book so urbino dies mm -hmm. he dies as as you alluded to um, there is this parrot. We learn all kinds of great stories about this great parrot who talks. <laughs> um, the parrot like, gets out. He gets up in a tree. Dr. Urbino goes to fetch him and he falls off the ladder and he dies. Oh, no. His wife, Fermina Daza, very sad that he's died. And then we jump back to her very like young womanhood where she is in this in the same city and she is she is being courted by this other fella Florentino Ariza who mm. is, who has like seen her from afar and decides that he can't possibly live without her they start up this correspondence of love letters which gets very intense very quickly but partly because of society at the time they just they don't really spend a whole lot of time one on one together like there okay. there's a lot of communicating via letter there is a lot of like glances across a park or a, a church or something um but they are they have this so kind of sort of love affair happening Fermina Daza's father Lorenzo finds out about it and he has a meeting with Florentina Ariza where they both get drunk on like aniseed yeah liquor. and Lorenzo Daz is like, do you, under no circumstances, oh, no. are you going to, because he is kind of, kind of a hard scrabble guy and she is from, you know, the, I guess you call it rural, uh, Columbia. Like they, they are not super well to do, but the one thing that he wants for his daughter in the entire world is to elevate her to like nobility. And sure. So he is very interested in her marrying up this guy who he's Florento Florentino Ariza has connections but he's not really a member of the aristocracy like as such. He ends up eventually like running a boat company partly because he's like the nephew of the guy who runs the boat company. Okay. But he's from sort of a 
less than distinguished like branch of this family. And he's mostly like good at the stuff that he does because he's just kind of making sure that he's like successful and like marking time so that when Fermina Daz is finally ready to get back with him, he, you know, he's got, he's got means and he's like attractive to her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, that like, that's his main motivating thing. It's not that he is never, never in this book is his thing. I need to climb this corporate ladder and then maybe later in life, I'll remember my my adolescent love affair with Fermina Daza, and, and we'll both come back to it. No, his whole thing yeah. is the love affair. His whole thing, his okay. whole entire life is that. And also boning everything that moves also. But we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, great. So his love is a, his love is a sickness. Yeah, it's there's a there's one as close. There are a couple parts. Is there a title this, card? There's a couple parts of this book where they get pretty close to to saying the name of the book in the book. Okay. Um, one of them is, um, this. Uh, All that was needed was shrewd questioning first of the patient and then of his mother to conclude to conclude once again that the symptoms of love were the same as those of cholera. Okay. Now so, the symptoms of he's cholera. So lovesick. That he's got tummy, he's got tummy troubles and lethargy and all kinds of other stuff that it's, I'm sure is on this list. It's a bacteria that mostly kills you through incredible sudden dehydration uh-huh. through, from diarrhea and vomiting. Yes. Um, I don't know if you can be cured of love through rehydration and antibiotics, but... I mean, drinking water helps. It, it You know, it just kind of helps everything. That was Susanna's whole thing when we were watching the Let It Be Beatles documentary uh, yeah. last year or whenever it was new. Maybe is, they just should have drank more water. Yeah, she's just like, they're eating these like miserable sandwiches. They're chain smoking all the time. They all just need to drink water. You know? And probably like for some of them to like do less heroin probably. But but her big thing was like everybody needs to just be drinking more water. And this... And this <laughs> <laughs> it was much it's more much more popular to suggest that Yoko broke up the Beatles. It's not I have not heard it floated that they all just needed to be drinking more water. <laughs> yeah. Well, more people should be saying it. Mm-hmm. You everybody should write the Beatles and say this to them. Or just go you go drink water. Don't let yourself become the next Beatles. Don't become the Beatles. Well, don't become drink. the late late Beatles. Become the like early Beatles. Okay. That sounds fun. It does sound like a good time. <laughs> Um, drink water. So, drink, geez, drink clean this episode water. Of, this episode of Overdue brought to you by potable water. <laughs> Make sure mm-hmm. that it is potable and, you know, it has been treated for waste and things like that. I Don't. like my water potable and portable. And potent. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of potency, um, who you want, do you want to tell, talk about the sex in this book? <laughs> well, okay. So uh, they... Th- uh, Fermina Daza, Florentina Ariza, they keep writing love letters. Lorenzo yeah. is like, all right, we're just going to go for like a year and a half out of town to oh. go see your mom's side of the family. Um, and uh, because Florentino Ariza is already like he's he's already connected with, like the telegraph company. So he kind of already knows where they're going and what they're what they're how how to reach her. Mm. And so the love letter relationship continues unabated. They keep writing them all these love letters. They're planning their lives together, planning to get married uh, letter after letter after letter. Lorenzo Daza, because he has experienced the way that other regular human beings work, I think just assumes that two people who've been apart for two years can't possibly be making the same plans to get married that they were before they left. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So they come back. And what undoes the relationship, such as it is, is not anything that Lorenzo does. It's not anything except Florentino Ariza comes up to Fermina Daza in like a town square or something and taps her on the shoulder and she turns around and she's like, nope. She takes one look at him. She's like, no, I don't think so. Oh, no. And she leaves and she never and she demands all of the letters back and and she then the, the whole thing is broken off and she just resolves never to think about him again. OK. <laughs> so can I just and maybe the answer is none of this happens. Okay. Um, is it do we get any insight into 
is it literally just that in that mo- that exact moment she's like no i'm actually not into you and then she's done is there like leading up to it like did she just love the idea of this person she was sending letters to and saw the real guy and was like man not enough she turned her head and saw a hand's breadth from her eyes, those other glacial eyes, that livid face, those lips petrified with fear, just as she had seen them in the crowd at midnight mass the first time he was so close to her. But now, instead of the commotion of love, she felt the abyss of disenchantment. In an instant, the magnitude of her own mistake was revealed to her, and she asked herself appalled how she could have nurtured such a chimera in her heart for so long and with so much ferocity. She just managed to think... My God, poor man. Florentino Ariza smiled, tried to say something, tried to follow her, but she erased him from her life with a wave of her hand. No, please, she said to him. Forget it. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> Which is de- like really mean and devastating, but also he's such a weirdo creep that I can't, I can't fault her for, for her. <laughs> For having this response to him and then getting married to Dr. Urbino, who she doesn't really like that much at first, but they do, they, they do get like close on their honeymoon and then they just settle into like a, a comfortable, familiar thing. And she's like, never sure that it's love, but like she does like care about him and she's upset yeah. when he's dead and she has children with him. And like, it's, it's a, it is by all accounts a perfectly like fine like stable relationship thing sure it feels like that she never has a moment where she regrets throwing florentino ariza away and spending her time with dr sure yes okay okay like that big noping the big nope that just happened there (laughs) it feels like gabo like really just giving us a really vivid one scene image of another version of love which is the love that's just like actually it's not there like the it was more fun to think about what it would be like to be in love with someone than it would actually be to act on it well because they didn't know each other they just like they worked each other up into this big like adolescent romantic fervor and then she meets him close up and she's like i don't know about this that's i just think i wanted it's one of those when Rin Stimpy would do like a really gross detail yes. close up on somebody's like foot or something, that's a little bit what you get of Florentino Ariza's. I can face hear the here. like canned audio scream that happens when yes. it like zooms mm. in on a toenail or something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The animated movie of Love in the Time of Cholera. So, yeah. So how, so far, how much how much of this conversation has been the same as it was last time? Um, the noping was discussed. Okay. Um, be, you said it was because he was an uggo, which I don't think is a word that you would use as flippantly. No, but I mean it's not wrong. Yeah, it's a little bit that. Um, and I, you just it took longer to to for you to get purchase on like where you wanted to to talk about. Like that's mostly yeah. the the main difference yeah. of where we're at, which is just I, you know. Hundreds of episodes of practice. Yeah. And it's, I think one thing, if there's a difference in approach to the way that you summarize a book versus where I summarize a book is I I feel like I am quicker to just like jump through the stuff I really want to talk about. And like, and, and if you have like a specific question, maybe we'll go back and we'll backfill some stuff where you're a little bit more regimented about like this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Yeah. I'm definitely... And this is an interesting book to talk about this difference, too, is that, like, my... And this might be my theater brain, mm-hmm. is, like, I'm very interested in the, like, linear experience of the reader. Okay. Uh, like, the, like, what is the audience's or the the reader's, like, experience of the book over time? Like, what what is the sequence of events that they read, and how does that add up to the story? Well, and also, right? like, like what, yeah, why are why are the things in the order that they yeah. are in? Yeah. yeah, and so, like, for me, my brain wants to work through them in the order in which they, uh, they occur, um, because I'm so interested in that affect. But I think for you, you're, you are in a bit more of a systems brain mode, and you want to just kind of, like, pluck what is vibing well and for for purposes of having a 45 minute conversation about this specific book it is it is just easier to 
Because you do get a linear story out of this kind of eventually in bits and pieces, jumping around between people a lot, jumping around between like times a lot. Um, It is it is handier for me to condense it down to the big like the big pivot points and then we can talk about other stuff in between that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, what I mean, what happens after this is she you know she does she has this thing where her dad really likes dr urbino who's like come to examine her for some other reason he's come back into town recently and has quickly like built a name for himself because he is helping with all this cholera stuff and he's sort of an agent of modernization and, and change and he's well dressed and he's handsome and she doesn't want to be into him partly because her dad so clearly wants her to be into him and mm. since the since the thing with Florentino Ariza where he did where he said no you can't do what you want you can't marry this guy and then like pulled up and made them leave town for two years or whatever th- their relationship has been pretty bad I would think pretty bad yeah um and so yeah for a little while him wanting it is enough for her not to not to want it <laughs> But they eventually have a have a connection and get married, and and um, we'd spend a you know a, a fair amount of time in their in their marriage. We get a lot of both of them, but the books, its main, if I had to pick the one thing that it does in this middle section that it keeps returning to that we are meant to like spend the most time noticing and thinking about, is Florentino Ariza never getting married, never falling in love with anybody else, never um, doing anything that would stop him from being available for Fermina Daza the minute Dr. Urbino drops dead. Yeah, okay. Is Good he, plan. Yeah, he just decides to drown his sorrows by by having sex with everybody, like every woman that he that he meets who seems even like vaguely interested. And it's, uh, it is usually not exclusively, but usually it's, you know, like older women or, or widows, people who society is kind of cast aside in a, huh. in a way like people, people who would be more inclined to keep their like affair with him quiet. Like it's a big thing for him that nobody really knows what his situation is. Um, ah. and a, lot, a lot of people assume that he's gay just because there's no sign of him getting married and there's no sign of him seeing anybody. Like everybody just kind of assumes he's a little, uh, he's a, he's, he's a homosexual. Well, and so it sounds like he is deliberately pursuing women that will not want a relationship. Yeah. I mean, more or less I, I, he has a, he has a knack for finding women who are either, who either just like like sex and want to have a lot of it Yeah, or, um, who, have been married and don't want to do it again or yeah, it's okay. Or, or who are actively married and want to, uh, want to fool around behind their spouse's back when mm. he is out of town. And so that's a reason why they wouldn't ever tell anybody else about the, the affair. Um, seems like some of this might not be ethical behavior. It's not all in the up and up. And there are a couple of, there, there is, there are at least two specific examples where he directly gets somebody killed. Oh God. Including one woman who he writes like on her tummy and paint pointing down to her genitals about how this is, this is mine. Uh, and then no. she undresses in front of her husband later and it's still on her tummy. And so he kills her. <laughs> um, okay. Then, yeah. This the whole thing with, with, um, the woman whose name I want to make sure I look, uh, America Vicuña. Okay. Who is a 14 year old girl who sent to live with him. Um, and he is like her, her guardian. Like she has parents, but, but they have sent her to live with, uh, Florentino Ariza. And he is, he just like kind of grooms her a little bit and then yeah. decides he wants to, like uh, Fermina Daza becomes available and he decides it's time to end this relationship and go be with Fermina Daza. And she is, you know, a, a young woman who's like super depressed about this. And she like, she takes a bunch of laudanum and that's, wow. yeah. And that's it. And it, it's, it's such a bummer. And like to the extent that you could be on 
Florentino Ariza's side at all. And I, I, I do think that Gabo is intentionally making him kind of a, kind of a heel and kind of a hypocrite and kind of a predator in a lot of ways. Like I, I, I do not think this is a case where the author depicting something is the author endorsing the behavior. Yep. Yep. Um, but it does make it hard to, the the entire last bit of the book is is them being together, but also kind of away from every other like every single other thing in their lives. In their lives, yeah. And like in that context, a relationship between them kind of works. But the point is, as soon as any part of their old lives like starts coming back into the picture, it becomes unworkable for like a million reasons. Sure, um, I have a few quotes on this actually. Okay, yes. So. He gave, in this interview he gave in 1988 um, to the New York Times, uh, asking him about the characters in the book. He talks about one, you know, he talks about the advantage of knowing the end of the book beforehand, mm-hmm. um, knowing that the, you know, the the lovers might like go on being together forever. You know, we know that this is going to work out for them in a way. Um, but then they're asking him about Florentino. He does not elaborate on this. He says, I don't really like him. I think he is very selfish, like all men are. And then he moves on to Fermina. He says, and as for Fermina, I think she became more bourgeois than she realized. That changed her a lot and made her very pretentious. She only understood that by the time she was very old when she had agreed to go on the boat. To do that, she had to break with her whole life. Uh, so he unequivocally is like, no, that guy's bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he also says there's another important character, one that has no name, that is the society of the Caribbean coast, its prejudice and superstitions, its old-fashioned ways. Yeah. That sure. is what really drives the whole story. And that, to me, sounds like what, you know, the the women that he sleeps with that you're alluding to and, like, some of the wronged husbands and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. that seems like an easy... And also all the stuff with Lorenzo. That seems like a way for him to explore that character yeah as he a little says, bit right? yeah for sure um but what you're getting at andrew is something i saw in some goodreads reviews and other reviews of the book how many how many stars do they have three star goodreads reviews. reviews um this is from alice who really you know really liked the book thought the unfolding of the plot was good um really liked the themes and you know all this kind of stuff and then says the main character's uh, were too flawed to be likable for my tastes. Um, name checks uh, Nabokov and, and Lolita and says, not all characters have to be likable, but when so much rides on the concept of love, you start to wonder what's there to love in these people. And that seems to be the like the main tension that folks have with this like grand love story that has this reprehensible Don Juan character <laughs> as one of the people that we're supposed to maybe root for. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel like we're supposed to root for him, but yeah, I don't know. Like it, it is, or we're used to rooting for love, and maybe that's yeah. Our own you're you're kind of used to used to the being in a position of rooting for like the the long suffering guy who's just yeah. waiting for that waiting for that girl to come around. And I think that archetype, for super super good reasons, has been reexamined a lot in the last like decade or so, especially like if a guy is yeah. standing out your apartment with a boombox or whatever after he told you no, or if he comes to your door with like a PowerPoint deck that he just kind of cycles through to tell you about like, those are all warning signs. Those are not sweet declarations of love. Those are red flags. Yep. My, yep. my peoples. It's, it's bad. <laughs> it's not, it's not endearing. It's that is creepy. not love. Actually. <laughs> it's just creepy. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> If they if they had made you know when they made all those like scary movie parodies they could have made one called Creepy Actually about rom coms they could mm-hmm, mm-hmm. be an ensemble movie about yeah, creepy rom coms yeah just stories. people people sending you aim messages about your bookstore but they won't leave you alone even though oh, you really want them to <laughs> yeah we've come mm. a long way as a people. I mean, it's some you sometimes get a, a gender swap one. Like, um, mm. I think while you were sleeping is the Sandra Bullock one where oh, she like man. 
there's a guy yeah. in a coma and she like we, meets his family and we like, have fun <laughs> watching that movie every year <laughs> I, and don't, I always I don't dislike that movie but i oof. lose my mind every time the entire plot hinges on one nurse being like oh you were gonna marry him get in there and yeah. then the nurse doesn't say anything <laughs> it rules mm-hmm. all the all the performances are so charming that's what makes that movie work yeah um, it's they usually work on enough charm that like you would never call the cops on meg ryan or, or something no. <laughs> like you she's too charming <laughs> but in real life when these things happen it's usually with people who are less charming and yeah you you, you can't always assume the best of someone you haven't talked about too much i guess is like um is Fermina Daza? I like. I get a sense of her journey, like through these relationships. But like as a character, do you have a stronger sense of who she is? Yeah, I mean, you, you get a lot of the the. So you get the big nope, which is a which is a big moment. Yeah, you get a lot of scenes from their marriage, which okay. is it's often like fun. A lot of that stuff is funny on some level. Like that, she just she really hates feeling guilty about anything. Mm. And so their biggest fight as a couple that you hear about is this time. And this is all the, the root cause of this is that Dr. Urbino is a little man baby who needs his wife to do all the stuff (laughs) around the house, or he would like starve to death within three days. Okay. And so there's no soap in the shower. Classic genius. Yeah. So there's no soap in the shower and he, tells her that there's no soap in the shower instead of getting his own. If I went to Susanna and I was like, Hey, there's no soap in the shower. She would tell me to get my own soap. Yeah. She might, she might tell me where the soap is if I don't know where it is, but the, no, the, the impetus would be on me, the person who has noticed the absence of soap to replenish the soap on for the entire family's use. You'd think that the guy responsible for ridding the town of an infectious disease. He knows. I mean, he wants to use the soap. He knows about the importance of soap. It's just he's he's not the one whose job it is to put it in the shower, I guess. Man. And then she's like, "There, well, no, there is there is soap. She's so embarrassed about having let the soap run out. Oh, that instead of it being a fight about how he's an infant who can't re- who can't <laughs> open a bar of Irish spring by himself. <laughs> it's all about how she she won't admit that there was no soap. And then it becomes just this big thing where every fight that they've ever had is like coming to the surface. And just one of them has to admit to being wrong about the soap. And Dr. Abino is finally like, yeah, there was soap. You're right. Yes. Just to make the fight go away. That's good. But this is like months and months later. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> After they like briefly aren't sleeping in the same bed anymore. Wow. So you, you get you you do get a lot of her, you know, she's with she's with her cousin and she is kind of connecting with her roots and she really enjoys that that part of um that part of the the excursion out of town with her with her dad is Okay. You you do find out a lot about her, but she is not the it, because of the societal stuff that you mentioned, yeah. she she is not driving the action as as much, and so I guess it is. There's a little less to that's talk to. unfortunately typical. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she she like she marries the the doctor, then the doctor dies, then Florentino Ariza like while she's like the next day, like there's still flowers in the house from him being dead. Florentino Ariza shows up. He's like, "Hey, baby, I've been waiting this whole time," and she slams the door in his face, tells him never to come back. But then he. Again, like starts Picks writing letters and starts visiting and, and he does show like if he if he does anything we're meant to like at all, if if there's anything meant to showcase growth, it's like all his experience stooping all these women, like teaches him some things about about love and how people like are together in and in, in a relationship and how you know what Things that help her deal with the loss of the, her husband of mm. 50 years. Yep. Okay. Rather than all like the boyish declarations of love and like him writing stuff on flower petals and whatever. When, when he tries to do that stuff, she's like, I don't understand why you keep trying to like make us be people that we aren't anymore. Like she finds it much, much better when he is An operating in a more like adult and serious register with her rather than the like besotted one that they 
were both operating in when they were younger. And that's what people have seemed to praise this book for, too, is like a depiction of love between older people. Yeah, it's it's novel, a, there's a lot of really, you know? really nice stuff about... I don't even know if nice is the word ideal. A lot of really good, like interesting stuff about aging as, mm. as all of these characters age and you do spend so much time with them in such specificity. You yeah. get stuff like that, that Florentino Ariza's he, he thinks to himself, you know, the first time you fall by accident, that's when you know you're old. And then the second time you fall by accident is when you die. <laughs> like that's oh, no. when you die. God. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, there's this, this one, uh, this is Dr. Urbino, I think. His professor of children's clinical medicine uh, had recommended pediatrics as the most honest specialization because children become sick only when, in fact, they are sick and they cannot communicate with the physician using conventional words, but only with concrete symptoms of real diseases. After a certain age, however, adults either had the symptoms without the diseases or, what was worse, serious diseases with the symptoms of minor ones. Um, and yeah, just a lot of like descriptions of, of, uh, when Fermina Daza and Florentino Ariza do get together, like descriptions of their, of their bodies and, mm. um, just one, like, re- yeah, go ahead. One review I read talked about it kind of, is it a Goodreads review? No, it was some essay God, on a blog. Sure. So, it, you know, it's like quoting some other academia paper. I don't, I can't source it. I don't just to say that like it occurring later in his life. He is perhaps more grounded in kind of like the specificity of character that you're talking about, lived experience stuff, um, and not relying on the kind of showier elements of magical realism, right? And then the New York Times review I've quoted once or twice already. This is from the closing paragraph. Uh, Marquez, uh, Garcia Marquez displays a wise benevolence, an ability to see both the tragedy and humor of the character's situations, and this tone burnishes the novel with the warm, soft glow of redemption. I thought redemption was an interesting word to to have there, given Florentino's whole deal. Redemption is so, it's so wild to me. It it, it feels even though I think Florentino, I, I I would have described him as a creep for most of the book. I think he's predominantly a creep. Yeah. To throw in the thing where right at the end, like, oh, the last woman, the last woman that yeah. he had a sexual relationship with was like this 14 year old who he's supposed to be like a, a guardian was his for. Ward, yeah. Yeah. Like that's hard. It's a it's a curveball. I've got to assume is like intentional just to like drive home that this this man's actions have not been virtuous, I, I guess. Yeah. It's like 620 something affairs. It could yeah. have just been one less. It didn't have to also be that one. It didn't have to also be that one. It's it's such a weird to view it as a redemption arc makes it really awkward to you, like you you almost have to ignore that that was the last relationship that he was in for this to yeah. be redemptive of of him at all. Well, I I, I I would say redempt maybe maybe the relationship he gets into with her afterwards is where he finds redemption i don't i'm not saying that all the his his don wanting is the redemption part. yeah but but even so like they so they they get in this big fancy riverboat and they're they're sailing and part part of the point of the story is that um even though he runs a riverboat company like a typical (laughs) manager like Florentino Ariz has been on one riverboat ever and it was like 50 years ago. Oh my God. And so he is not familiar with like how bad the river has gotten because of all the deforestation that's happened to like feed the engines of the riverboats. And so the whole last bit of the, of the book is partly like in the, in the privacy and anonymity of their own like cabin on this boat and with the, the help of the captain who knows what's going on and doesn't make a big deal out of it. Like they discover each other and kindle this relationship while they are like sailing past all the symbolism about how you can't go back and nothing can ever be the way that it was. Um, okay, sure. And then they get to the end of the line and, people like now the boat's going to turn around and go back. And because it's going back to where they live, some people who would recognize, recognize for Minadaza start lining up to get on board. And she's like, I cannot be seen so soon after my husband's death in a cabin with some other guy. I just cannot do it. And so they're stra- They're 
brilliant stratagem is to fly the yellow cholera flag on the boat so that nobody can get on it and they can just go back home like unmolested and they get back to the city and they start like the 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 government health officials because they have been flying the cholera flag and they get to (laughs) bypass all kinds of like regulations and stuff um they come and start asking questions and florentino ariza is like all right why don't we just turn the boat around and fly the flag again and go back up the, up the river. And Fermina Daz starts to get a little like eh, about, about him again. Uh. And I, the captain, I think asks like, how long, how long do you think you could do this? And, and we've been with him this whole time. So we know that he's being truthful when he answers forever. Whoa. And that's the end of the book. And that's so he's just like, book? yeah, that's the end of the book. And so he is just, Going okay. so far That's out of his way to like, is too strong. <laughs> yeah, he goes so far out of his way to like preserve this artificial bubble where their relationship can work mm. rather than, I don't know, trying like trying to go back and because she, she seems pretty worried about what everybody else is going to think about them. Reasonably. Even if she does kind of come around on. Yeah. Yeah. Pitiable and tragic. I would were our words I would use for him at best. Yeah. After creep. poor, poor, poor man. <laughs> poor man. <laughs> My God, poor man. Oh man. All right. What well, What do you think now that you've you've gone back? You've you've revisited the time of cholera. You've mm-hmm. found love in a hopeless place. Yeah. What was it like? Oh wait the uh, the time where they say. Oh yeah. The name of the book in the book. I I thought you yeah okay. There's another there's another time. Um, uh, so this is deciding to fly the plague flag when they go back down the river. After all, everyone knew that the time of cholera had not ended, despite all the joyful statistics from the health officials. The time of cholera, Craig. Nor had their love. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad to have gotten to go back and, and do at least a more confident job. I don't know how much stuff I mentioned that I didn't like touch on at all last time or whether it was like a, once we got into it, it was like a better conversation, but I do feel better about how we chose to spend our time and how we actually did a little bit of extra research and like brought in other other uh, viewpoints to like help us to have stuff to talk about. It's just like an episode of our regular podcast. <laughs> yes. I think you also have more of a take, mm-hmm. which is something that both of us have like shaped how much and when we want to do that. Mm-hmm. When we, when we, re- which we did not in the yeah. early it's days. It's not, it's like, like, it's not a book review show. It's never ended with like, Oh, I like this one or I didn't like this one or you should read it or you shouldn't read it. But Sometimes I say that though. Yeah, but it's but it is a little bit easier to come up with like a definitive. I felt this way about it instead of yes. just this was a book I read. Yeah, don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a lot comes from it being it was the first book you read for the show. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was really uh you know I don't I don't I've never skied I I understand that like tough ones have multiple black diamonds. It's it was like a black diamond slope. Black diamonds. Isn't that a, a rating I'm going to google this for It's quick. not one that I know as a non-skier. Black diamond. Hmm. Did you make that up? I might have That sounds like something <laughs> what are you talking about? from a sitcom I heard once. <laughs> yeah, black diamond slopes. Oh, ski ski slope ratings Sometimes Explained. you're racing your Mario Kart at 50 cc, and sometimes you're racing 200 cc Mirror Cup. Mirror Cup, yeah, and it's harder. Double black diamond, experts only. That's what I'm saying. All right, sounds like a poker thing. Well, also true. Um, all right, well, good job, Andrew. Yeah, I want I want to be generous to early Andrew and early Craig because we're gonna do of mice and men next. Yeah, which I don't remember being as bad of an episode mostly because it was a much shorter book and a much shorter episode <laughs> much shorter episode that's that's my main goal there is like i bet there's actual more stuff to talk about i bet we could do a whole hour instead of like 27 minutes or whatever yeah. <laughs> not that it's a long book but uh, there's more to talk about there yeah um so I mean, we talked an hour about 
many, multiple Goosebumps books. We talked an hour about the novelization of Home Alone. Like it I think a lot to a lot to say. <laughs> I think we can find some things to say about Bison Man. Anyway, that'll be next week. Andrew, thanks for kicking off our anniversary month. Yeah, and thanks for doing this for 10 years, you and everybody. I wonder if we have anybody who's been listening the whole 10. If you have been listening since 2013, please send us an email over to pod at gmail.com. Also, if you, whenever, just send us an email. It's fine. Yeah, email us if you want. I don't care. Um, (laughs) I do care, but if you don't do it, it's fine. (laughs) On social media since 2013. Uh, thanks to folks reaching out at Overdue Pod this week. Stephanie, Juliana, Natasha, Lindsay, Ryan, Alex, Kara, Jessica, JG, and Trina. Uh, love to see you out there on the internet. Um, our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the the books that we have read and the ones we are going to read. We have a link to our Patreon project, patreon.com slash overdue pod support the show directly, uh, get access to our discord server and bonus episodes and our long read projects and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and what else? I think that's, that's mostly it. Yep. Craig, what are you? So you're reading of mice and men. Do you want to go down the whole do overdue schedule for me? Here we go. Do overdue. Love the time of cholera of my check done. Of Mice and Men, coming up next, on deck. Then The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Uh, Then Persuasion by Jane Austen. And The Ghost Train Rides Again. We're punching our ticket. We're going to try and get on that train. Our bonus episode for this month, uh, we are going to choose an adventure that will hopefully uh, lead us to a haunted train. This is a the, The book is called Ghost Train. The first time we did it, we I we might have found a ghost, maybe, but we certainly did not find the ghost train. Never found a ghost train. And so we are going to go back and we're going to try and find the thing on the cover of the book. It was the unequivocal winner of this month's Patron's Choice poll. People <laughs> still remember that we never found that train. <laughs> um, and yeah, on, when Andrew mentioned the Patreon, we're going to do another one of those polls for a book in March. So, you know, if you want to go vote on our schedule, that's where you do it. That episode could end up being four hours long. I'm not leaving until we we're the ghost train. Stopping? Yes, we are not stopping the stream until we get on the train. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Here's another thing that we hadn't figured out. When we did our second episode ever yeah. 10 years ago. Until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.